Um, all right, so tonight um, we're, we're into Colossians chapter 4. So we've been just studying through the book of Colossians, and it's been great. Chapter 3 was particularly convicting for me, um, and I hope it was practical for you. But throughout Colossians 3, the theme has been getting our lives lined up with what God wants them to be. And until now, you know, we've only hinted at the reason for that. But tonight, at the beginning of chapter 4, we'll be getting to the heart of why we want our lives to line up with what God wants them to be. And that's for evangelism. So turn with me to Colossians 4 um, as we start our study tonight. So the point is evangelism. That's why we want our lives to line up with the way God describes them. That's why we want to, or how we want to be used by God. We want our lives to be used by God through winning other people to Christ. So naturally, we want the way we live our lives to line up with that. If the way you live your life is not conducive to winning other people to Christ, then you're not going to win very many people to Christ. You're not going to see your life used the way God wants it to be used. Um, so tonight, we get to the heart of the issue, because if we're just living our lives without the goal of sharing the gospel, well, sure, we could be good people doing good things, but what's really the point? The point is that there's an entire world out there full of lost people that are dying and going to hell. And we can't stop them from dying, but we can get them the truth they need to prevent them from going to hell. Ultimately, it's their decision whether or not to follow Christ. God only wants people to follow him who want to follow him, but he wants to use us to get them the information they need to make that decision. So let's read in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. It says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the first thing in this passage is, it says continue in prayer. And that begs the question, what are we continuing? We know we're supposed to continue in prayer, but that doesn't mean much if we don't know what we're to continue in prayer. And we don't have to guess at what Paul's saying here when he says continue in prayer. We can just go back a couple chapters because that word continue shows up earlier in this same letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 1, verse 23, if you remember back a few months ago, it says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So we're to continue in faith, grounded and settled. Meaning as we continue our walk through this life, we shouldn't be moved away from the hope of the gospel meaning we can't allow ourselves to be driven by things apart from our hope in the gospel of Christ. That's what motivates us. I think of this verse like a road trip. Life is the road, and you're heading down the road, but the faith is the car. You're going to keep making your way down the road, but you need to make sure you're staying in the same car because you know the other cars aren't going to get you where you need to go. Okay, that's a stupid example, but that's, that's what I think of when I, when I read that. Um, but as life continues for you, you have to stay in faith. That's the car God wants you in as you continue down the road. You have to continue trusting in God and in his promises, specifically trusting in the promises of the gospel that are guaranteed for you at the end of this life. And we've talked about some of those in previous weeks. And that's important because we've been talking a lot lately through our study in Colossians 3 about staying focused on the things that God wants us to be focused on and spending our time, efforts, and money on things that have eternal value, about doing everything we do in life for the Lord, with the goal of seeing our lives and our ministry make an eternal difference in God's kingdom. And that's what we're continuing. 
if we want our lives to be rooted and stable in our walks with God, if we want to see our lives used by God for his glory, then we have to continue in faith. And prayer is essential for that, and that's why we're supposed to continue in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That means pray without stopping. And that's because when we pray, we're allowing God to line up our heart and our mind with his. God wants you to talk to him. And as we'll see tonight, prayer is critical in our preparation for evangelism. That's why I've titled tonight's message, Evangelism Prep, because that's what we're getting at here. We're preparing our lives for evangelism. Because like we've been discussing, if our lives are focused on the things above, if our goals are seeing God's kingdom increase its foothold in the lives of people around us, regular, consistent evangelism will be evident in your life as a result of that because you're literally putting Jesus Christ on display for the people around you. Because the first step in seeing God's kingdom increase in the life of a person around you is actually getting them into that kingdom. So if that's your focus, you're going to be looking for opportunities to have conversations with the lost people in your life that direct their attention to the Lord and their need for a Savior. But I get it. That's hard. We're all humans, and on some level, we all struggle to keep that focus in our lives. I don't think anybody in here would raise their hand if I asked for people who spend their lives 100% focused on the things that the Lord wants you to be focused on. We all get distracted. And that's the stuff we've been talking about for the last month or so, keeping our attention on things above and not things on the earth, trying to live out our family and work relationships in a way that pictures our relationship with Christ. Uh, We all know that we're supposed to do those things, Nobody's arguing that you're not supposed to do those things. But actually doing that day after day, that's, that's hard work. Most of us, myself included, would admit that keeping yourself focused on that regularly is actually pretty hard to do. Because we all have our own goals and desires, and the world's constantly trying to get our attention. But God calls his sons and daughters to put their own desires on the back burner, and that's what we've been looking at. And God calls us to stop focusing on the world so we can focus on him and the job he gave us to do, to reach the world. And yeah, that's hard, but our passage tonight provides some helpful guidance on how you can keep your life focused on the right thing so you can be ready for evangelism opportunities when they come up in your life. These couple verses can help us get a handle on how we can continue once we've made the decision to get started. Hopefully now you've made the decision to get started, and tonight we'll talk about how it is you can keep that going. And the first way we can prepare for evangelism is point number one, prepare your attention. And that's what we see in verse two. It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So we've already talked about continuing in prayer, but let's spend some time on that second part, watching in the same with thanksgiving, because that's part of continuing in prayer. And prayer is actually what the same is referring to there. When it says watch in the same, with thanksgiving. It's really, it's just pointing right back to what it just said. You could read that sentence as continue in prayer and watch in prayer with thanksgiving. And if you search through the Bible for the words pray and watch together in the same verse, you're going to find out pretty quickly that praying and watching are pretty thoroughly linked throughout scripture. Uh, For example, Jesus says in Mark 13, uh, verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. So Jesus is calling his disciples to watch and pray because no one knows when Jesus' second coming is going to happen. Not exactly. We like to make our guesses, and we can be pretty sure we're getting close. 
But we can know for sure that we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to show up. And we can know for sure that we're closer to his return today than we were yesterday. If you understand time, then you know that that's true. (laughs) So we're to watch for it and pray as a result of that. The next chapter in Mark 14, Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before his death. He takes a break from praying and he finds his disciples asleep. He's here weeping in the garden, praying to God, and they're just over here asleep on a rock. He wakes them up and in Mark 14, 38, he says, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So watching and praying also has to do with our struggle with temptation. He wanted his disciples to be awake and focused so that they were ready to deal with temptation when it comes. Because temptation always comes. And the Holy Spirit living inside of us is always ready to deal with it, but our flesh is weak. And as long as we're living in the flesh, we're going to struggle with temptation. So we need to watch for it and pray so that the Spirit can be the one who faces temptation rather than our flesh because our flesh isn't going to resist temptation. It never does. So if we want our lives to stay out of sin so we can be used by God, we have to watch and pray. But the connection between watching and praying continues. Luke 21 Verses 34 through 36 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, which is just like feeding yourself in excess, and drunkenness, which is drinking in excess, and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the earth of the whole earth, or on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And again, Jesus is telling his disciples to watch and pray so they don't get caught up in the affairs of this life. And that's exactly what we've been talking about for the past several weeks. Keeping our attention on things above, not on things in the earth, like Colossians 3.2 says. Not getting entangled with the affairs of this life, like 2 Timothy 2.4 says. And the way you do that from day to day is by watching and praying. And the context here is Luke, in Luke 21, again, is paying attention to things that are prophesied to happen in the end times, so that the end doesn't show up and find you unaware. And obviously, this has different applications for the nation of Israel than it does for the church, but we as the church, we need to understand what time it is. First Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So the end of all things is at hand, which doesn't mean it's right now. It means it can happen at any moment. Nothing else needs to happen on God's prophecy calendar before the church gets pulled off of this planet and he returns. And at that point, our, our opportunity to share the gospel is over. It's done. So we need to take advantage of the time we have now. And to do that, we need to be sober. That's what it says in First Peter 4, 7. It says, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And being sober just means that we have to be in our right mind. And this doesn't just mean that we need to not be drunk, though that is a a good way to understand what the Bible means by being sober. When you drink too much alcohol, you start losing your faculties. Your legs don't work the way they should. You you start seeing things in multiple places. You can't pay attention as well as you can, can normally. You can't remember when things happen. Your reaction time slowed. Well, the same thing happens to us spiritually when we allow too much of the world in. When we're too focused on the cares of this life, our ability to stay focused on the things of God diminishes. We aren't able to walk with the Lord as well as we could if we were focused on the things above. 
So not only do we need to be physically sober and in our right minds, but we need to be spiritually sober so that we can see things as they're happening and react accordingly. And a big part of being sober is watching unto prayer. And again, watching is just paying attention to the things going on around you, being aware of evangelism opportunities, being aware of temptation as it creeps in, being aware of when the cares of this life start to weigh heavy on you. And praying is simply our recognition that we're powerless to do anything about those things. Praying that God gives us the strength and the boldness to help point lost people to him. Praying that God helps us overcome temptation because we can't fight it on our own in our flesh. And praying that God keeps you from getting bound up in the affairs of this life so that you can be free to do what he needs you to do. So we have to watch and pray so that our attention can be prepared for when evangelism opportunities arrive. But that's not the only thing we need to prepare. Point number two, prepare your mind. And that's what we see in verse three. It says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So while praying helps prepare our attention, it also helps us prepare our minds in a few different ways. And I've got those ways listed on your sheet. The first way that's mentioned here is letter A, doors of utterance. And no, a door of utterance has nothing to do with a cow's udder. Trisha made fun of me for throwing that joke in there. <laughs> because we say T's and D's and they sound the same. No, it sounds like a churchy word. A door of utterance uh, sounds like a churchy word, but a door of utterance is just a chance to utter with T's, not D's. Um, a door of utterance is just a chance to speak. <laughs> you all right, man? All right, a door of utterance is just a chance to speak. And specifically, you're going back to the milk thing. (laughs) All right, we got to get off of cows. A door of utterance is just a chance to speak. And specifically, we're talking about speaking the mystery of Christ. So when we pray for doors of utterance, we're just praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Ephesians 6, 18 Uh, through 20 says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak so we need to pray for the chance to speak the gospel to people who need it hopefully by now that's clear Because like we talked about in that first section, spending time praying for opportunities to share the gospel help keeps your attention on it because it forces you to spend more time thinking about sharing the gospel. But it also helps you prepare your mind because the more you pray for opportunities to share the gospel, your mind is going to get rewired to start to see everything as a chance to share the gospel. You start seeing every interaction with a lost person as as a way to start a conversation about spiritual things. It's only natural that the more you pray for doors of utterance, the more every conversation you have is going to look like a door of utterance. Part of me wonders how many missed opportunities just pass us by every single day, either because we're not paying attention and we miss them, or because we saw an opportunity and we wondered whether or not that was an actual chance to share the gospel. You know, if you're like talking to somebody and you wonder, man, should I say something? Because this would be, this may be a good chance to do that, but But then you don't, you look back later and you realize, man, I really could have said something there and it would have been fine. Well, prayer can fix both of those problems. One, it can keep your attention ready 
so that you can see things uh, when opportunities as they present themselves. And two, it can keep our minds ready to know that there's an opportunity where before we might have wondered whether or not that was an opportunity. That's why we pray for doors of utterance. And man, you pray for doors, God will give you those doors. We just have to be bold enough to walk through them. Because when, when God opens doors for us, we should be sharing that with one another. We shouldn't just keep those things to ourselves. Man, if God gives you a chance to share the gospel with somebody, talk to somebody else about that. Talk to somebody in here about that. When Paul and Barnabas returned to their home church in Antioch after having spent time in the world sharing the gospel, Acts 14.27 says, And when they were come, they had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So man, if God opens a door for you, tell somebody else about it. Because God opening a door is a pretty cool thing, especially if you've been praying for it, because that's an answer to prayer. And if you're praying for open doors, man, God answers those prayers. And when we take the time to share that information with each other, God can use that to motivate everyone as a whole to get off our butts and stink and go out and share the gospel. So we prepare our minds by praying for doors of utterance to share the gospel, but we also prepare our mind by increasing our understanding of letter B, the mystery of Christ which is the very thing that we're to be speaking when we have those doors of utterance. So what is the mystery of Christ, and how can I understand it if it's a mystery? It's a great question, Brock. <laughs> well, Paul, when Paul calls something a mystery, he never, he's never talking about something we can't know or understand. He's talking about something that at one point in human history, people would not have known or understood, but now that we have the completed Bible with both the Old and New Testaments, we can understand mysteries if we do study them. It's something that was one time hidden, but it's now revealed. So we're not talking about some Scooby-Doo episode with the guy in a mask. You're not trying to find a guy in a mask. We're talking about something that's clear in Scripture to us if we study it. Ephesians 3, 3 through 6 says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, Paul's writing again, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in, in Christ by the gospel. So God revealed his mysteries to his holy apostles and prophets, and we can understand them when we read the scripture that those men wrote down. Does that make sense? There's a handful of mysteries that are mentioned in the New Testament, and each one of them presents an important doctrinal truth. And the important doctrinal truth with the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of, the pro of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And that's just the simple truth of the gospel, that anyone and everyone can get in of, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's our job to speak that to the world. Look at what 1 Corinthians says about mysteries in chapter 4, verse, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So it's not just our job to understand the mysteries. We have to be good stewards of those mysteries. And a steward is a person who takes care of something. Um, you might call it a house sitter, but when somebody goes on vacation and has somebody look after their house, that person is a steward of their house until they, they get back from vacation. So yes, knowing the mystery of Christ and studying it are important parts of being a good steward of that mystery. We should know the mystery of Christ inside and out. We should study those things. 
But a good steward of the mystery of Christ is going to share that mystery with the people who need to hear it because that's what God wants. The lost people of this world need to hear the gospel. They need to know that they have an opportunity to get right with God and they need to know Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins and they need to know that if they give their lives to him, he'll give his eternal life right back to them. And how can we think we're being good stewards if we keep that information to ourselves? Until Christ returns, he left us here as his stewards of the gospel, his stewards of his mysteries. So it's our job to get the gospel to the world because the world isn't solving mysteries on its own. We can because we have the Bible. And now it's our job to go share that with them. So we need to prepare our mind by understanding the mystery of Christ, both in context and in importance. Meaning we need to understand as much as we can about the gospel so we can effectively explain it to lost people and answer their questions biblically. But we also have to understand our role in sharing the mystery of Christ to the world. Because the world's got problems. That's obvious. But we have the answer. So we need to know or we know what the answer is and we need to understand how important that answer is so that we can go tell them because if we don't go share the answer, who will? Because the only place you can find that answer is in the Bible and the world isn't looking for answers in the Bible. But man, we can, sh- we can share that with them. So our man- minds need to be prepared to share the mystery of Christ, but we also need to prepare our minds by understanding, let her see our bonds. And this is how Paul ends the sentence here in verse three. He says, of which I am also in bonds. So Paul is saying that he's in bonds to the mystery of Christ, which means he's bound to it. And remember, Paul wrote this letter from prison. So he's physically in bonds. So on one level, Paul is recognizing that he was physically in bonds so he could speak the mystery of Christ. He knew that God was allowing him to be in prison so he could share the gospel with the other people in prison, the prisoners, the guards, the judges that he gave testimony to. There's a practical lesson for all of us because Paul recognized that everything he did was so he could speak the mystery of Christ. Even the things he didn't want to do, like being in prison, he was there to share the gospel and be used by the Lord. And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Everything we do is an opportunity to share the gospel and be used by the Lord. But Paul also understood he was spiritually in bonds to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So Paul understood that preaching the gospel was a necessity. It wasn't just something to do when we feel like doing it. He knew that dispensing of the gospel was committed to him. The dispensation, like you have a candy dispenser put a coin in it and it dispenses candy into your hand man it's our job to dispense the gospel into people's hands i don't so god gave him and the rest of the world the job of dispensing the gospel the good news of the gospel to the world so he had to speak it that's how he dispensed it and we need to have that same understanding we need to drill into our heads that sharing the gospel is one thing that we have to do yes god will let us choose not to do it but if we don't do it it won't get done And if it doesn't get done, then there will be people in your life who land in hell because you never took the time to share the gospel with them. Man, don't let that be true of you. And I think I've said this in prior weeks. Shame on them if they hear the gospel and choose to reject it, but shame on us if they never hear it. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 is always a good reminder for me. 
It says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Man, that should be true of us. We should have the truth of the gospel and our need to share it so ingrained in our minds that we can't help but share it when God gives us an opportunity that we've been asking him for. That's how you have your mind prepared for evangelism. So when you see an opportunity, you're ready to speak boldly rather than let your chance slip away. So your attention and mind are are prepared. The, The only thing left is to, point number three, prepare your speech. And that's what we see in verse four. He says that I make it, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So once we have those doors of utterance that we asked God for, we need to be prepared to make it manifest. And the it we're making manifest is just the mystery of Christ uh, from the verse before. It's the gospel. It's our job to make, sh- make the truth of the gospel manifest. And that just means that we're to put that on display for people to see. Colossians 1, 25 and 26 says, Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. So God has made this mystery manifest to his saints, that's us, because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. Every single saved individual has the Holy Spirit, so God can easily make this mystery manifest to us because we get to have direct interaction with the Spirit through the Word of God and prayer. You and I get to see God work in our lives in a spiritual way. So in that way, the mystery of the gospel is obvious to you. It's manifest to you because because you're saved. The problem is that's not obvious to the rest of the world. That isn't manifest to people who aren't saved. So how does God intend to make the gospel manifest to everyone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them? Well, 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So the manifestation to the lost world started with Jesus. He started manifesting the truth of the gospel to the world. He talked to them about it. But the main way he, that he actually manifested it was by actually dying on the cross and coming back from the dead three days later, proving he had the power over death, proving he had the power to give eternal life to those who want it. But Jesus isn't here right now. He's not on the planet anymore. So now it's our job to manifest the mystery of the gospel by preaching it. And it's really that simple. When you open your mouth and start sharing the gospel, you're making the mystery of God manifest for someone else. You're communicating the truth to them so that they have to decide whether or not to follow Christ. That's our job. That's what we ought to do. Like Paul says, as I ought to speak. And Romans 12.1 makes that clear. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So doing what God asks you to do, in this case, we're talking about sharing the gospel, that's your reasonable service. Offering that service to God, that's your reasonable service. You're not going above and beyond when you share the gospel. That's just simply what's expected of you. Mark 16, 15 makes it clear that we're told to preach the gospel to every creature. 
And Matthew 28, 18 through 20 makes it clear that our entire goal in life should be to win people to Christ and get them plugged into a church body and make disciples out of them so that they can go do, do the same thing. So we need to be prepared to speak the gospel to people in our lives who need it because that's how God chooses to manifest the mystery of the gospel to the world. Because the fact that the gospel is a mystery doesn't mean it's complicated. It's actually rather simple. Believe in Christ's sacrifice and resurrection and tell him he's your Lord because of what he's done for you. It doesn't get much simpler than that. So man, the message that we have is, is simple. It's not complicated. We just have to share it. The fact that it's a mystery just means that the world doesn't understand it until we explain it to them. So we have to be prepared to talk about it. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. And the easiest one is just to go out and start sharing the gospel. Experience is the best teacher though we do have a class on personal evangelism and our ministry tools and training uh, curriculum that can give you some helpful tools to becoming more effective, man, don't wait until you take some class to start evangelizing. You've got what you need right now. If you know enough about the gospel to get saved yourself, you know enough about the gospel to tell somebody else about it. Start working on it now and be talking about it with others. Do it with other people. Tag team it. Because when everyone here has different experiences in evangelism that you can draw from, uh, man, if you're willing to talk about the gospel conversations you have, then we can all work together to see this goal accomplished. And preparing for evangelism is really that simple. And a lot of the work is done in prayer, like we talked about at the beginning. Watching and praying can help keep your attention focused on the right things so that you don't miss opportunities that come your way. And prayer can also prepare your mind so that when you do notice an opportunity, you can boldly have that conversation. But we also need to study and learn. We also need to prepare our minds by understanding as much as we possibly can about the mystery of Christ. And we need to study to make that happen. We need to regularly spend time in God's word to allow it to continually remind us of our obligation to share the gospel. And we need to prepare our speech so that we're ready to start talking when the opportunity rises. Look, preparing for evangelism isn't just a one-time thing. This is something each one of us has to do regularly. If you want to stay focused on increasing God's kingdom, this is just what we have to do. This is life for a Christian if you're doing it the way God prescribes it. We looked last week at some of the rewards that you can earn for your service to the Lord. And you remember the one, the crown of rejoicing? You earn that when you win people to Christ. Because when you get to heaven, if there are people who are there because you took the time to share the gospel with them, man, you're gonna have something amazing to rejoice over. Because who knows if they would have been there if, had you not opened your mouth. So when, what do you want to be spending your time on? Temporary stuff that won't matter when this life is over? Or would you rather focus on making an eternal difference in the lives of other people so that you have something to show for your time on this earth when you meet Jesus face to face? The right answer is obvious. We all know what the right answer is. But choosing to buckle down and prepare our own for, for our own evangelism, man, that's hard. And my prayer is that you'll consider what you need to do to better prepare yourself tonight so that you can be as effective as possible when you have the opportunity. And there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that always convicts me, um, and I just, I left that at the bottom of your sheet. It says, you cannot stop their dying, but oh, that God might help you stop to stop their being damned. You cannot stop the breath from going out of their bodies, but oh, if the gospel could but stop their souls from going down to destruction. The only thing stopping you from getting the gospel into somebody else's life is your unwillingness to share it. So man, let's just be willing to share it so that, so that they can make the decision. Uh, man, let's not, let's not see people end up in hell that we know as a result of ignorance because we, 
didn't share the gospel. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much just for the simplicity of your word and how simple your message is and how simple the gospel is and that, man, eternal life isn't some, isn't something that we have to, you know, try really hard to get and hope that someday we'll have. Man, eternal life is something we can know we have. And man, if we could just share that with the people in our lives, who knows what you can do in their life? Who knows what you can do to change their life? And God, I just pray that we would be continually motivated and continually driven for evangelism in our own personal life, um, not just in the lives of our friends and, or in the lives of our church, but in our own personal lives. Man, give us open doors. Let us see them and give us the boldness we need to, to walk through them. Let us have those conversations and ultimately bring us people in our lives that, that want to hear the gospel and that want to get saved and that want to see you work in their life. And God, I just pray that, man, as we, as we see those doors open up in front of us and as we walk through them, man, I pray we'd just talk to each other about them. I pray that we'd share all the cool things you're doing in our life so that we can be an encouragement and an uplift to, to one another. Oh, man, you put us here to, to do this job together. And God, I pray that we would. I pray that we wouldn't feel like we have to lone wolf anything. And I pray that we would be able to talk to each other about our struggles and about our successes. And God, I just pray that you would bring us, bring us fruit. Bring us fruit that remains and let us see our lives make a difference in eternity because of what you use them to do. We love you. Amen.